Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Several weeks ago, we started this series called Quest. And I told you when we started, it was going to be life-changing. And I've heard a lot of feedback from you on this particular series. It's been very gratifying. It's, it's been, I've learned a ton as I have taught you. Um, we started this whole thing and I said it's a quest but it's really a trilogy of three different quests the first was the quest for honor and we said in the quest for honor that it began with humility that God is humble and therefore calls us to humility that everything starts with humility I am of the opinion that as a believer in Jesus the number one most important virtue you can strive for in your life is humility I I, a little adage that I've come to kind of I wish I'd come to it earlier in my life than I have, but there's two virtues that I think if you follow those two things, you're going to be just fine. If you have humility and you have discipline, humility and discipline will rule the day. If you've got those two things, you will go pretty far in life. So we talked about this idea that God is humble, he calls us to be humble, and that out of humility comes integrity. That, that God wants us to be people of integrity, that God is a person of integrity, that God cannot be divided He's whole. A whole number is a number that cannot be divided by any other number but its own. And so we talked about how in nature you see integrity. You see when a a, a banana, you buy a banana in the store, it advertises itself yellow, slender, curved. It's a banana. You think, well, if I peel that and eat it, it's going to be a banana. And you've never been disappointed. You've never bought bananas at the store, gotten home, and found apples inside. You always find a banana. We said out of integrity grows courage that the life that God calls you to live intended for you to live it's going to take courage for you to live that life there are times when God calls you to things like Tracy with this adoption thing where it's it's it takes courage to step into that moment there's a lot of unknowns in life a lot of things we don't understand a lot of things we don't get and sometimes it's just okay God I I need the courage that only you can provide to to live the kind of life that you are calling me to live. So that was the quest for honor. Then we, we moved into this, the second of the trilogy, the quest for nobility. And we said in the quest for nobility that the end game was generosity. We talked about that last week. That, that God, in order for us to live the life that God is calling us to live, it's going to require that we live our most generative lives, that we be our most generative selves. And, and that generosity is really where we want to get to. Not in terms of, it wasn't a discussion, it wasn't really a sermon about give money to the church. It was really about living a life and having a lifestyle where you are a generous person. We said that generosity grows out of wholeness. And in that particular sermon, that's the one I think of this whole deal. I mean, I've had a lot of people talk about the one where I broke the CD player. That made a real impression on a lot of people. But the, the one that really has, I've gotten the most feedback on from you in terms of, Brett, that was so helpful for me, was the sermon we did on wholeness. And I put the two uh, sides on the board. And we talked about whether you're a giver or whether you're a taker. We talked about whether you're broken or whole, whether you're going to see beauty or tragedy. And, and so that was all about wholeness. We said that generosity grows out of being whole, but being whole grows out of gratitude, living a life that is a thankful life, that you were not intended to live a thank, a thank, not thankless life, an unthankful life, 
but that you were intended to live a life where you appreciate what is done for you, both by others and by God. So today, we begin the the last trilogy, and we're going to talk today about the quest for enlightenment. It's always scary to write a word that big on a whiteboard in front of a lot of people. I hope I spelled it right. Enlightenment is a really a pretty cool word. There's a lot of promise in the word enlightenment. There's such potential in that word, enlightenment. It's in, it's in enlightenment. It's in that journey where you go from darkness to light. You go from chaos and confusion to clarity. You go from doubt to faith. You go from fear to hope. We all want to have enlightenment. We, w- w- have you ever felt overwhelmed by circumstances in life? Have you ever felt like you, you didn't know if you could see clearly through all the fog and all the haze and, and you, you weren't sure that the decisions you were making were the right decisions because you just everything just seems so overwhelming? If you've ever been to that place, then you understand the need for enlightenment. The end game in the quest for enlightenment is wisdom. Who doesn't need more wisdom in their life, right? Who doesn't need a little more clarity in life? Don't you wish that you could make decisions that would help you in your future? Don't you wish that you were able to kind of see the future, anticipate the future, and be able to have the kind of wisdom wisdom necessary to navigate to get to the future that God has for you? One of the things God wants for you to have is wisdom. What we're going to discover is that wisdom grows out of another big word that I'm afraid to write up here. Perseverance. Feel like I'm on ESPN in the spelling bee. Perseverance. Sociologists have studied this trait of human resilience. They've they've looked at people who uh, sometimes go through very similar circumstances. You can have the same. You can have two people experience a very very similar calamity or trauma in their life or a catastrophe of some kind, and the way those two people experience that calamity will be different. Some people will go through it and be beaten. Some people will go through it and give up all hope. Some people will go through it and and their life will be dark. They're not someone on the other side. They're not someone you want to be around. They're not someone you really want to talk to. They've just been so hurt and so destroyed by whatever that calamity was. They're destroyed as a person. And then there are other people who can go through seemingly the very same circumstances, and come out on the other side stronger, better put together, with a stronger faith, a greater faith. And we would even say that they are whole on the other side. It's perseverance. And what we're going to discover this morning is that perseverance grows out of this word. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. The end game is wisdom. 
but you don't get there until you start there. You don't get wisdom without starting at faithfulness. I'm too high already. You good. Put another way, <laughs> we're trying to stop being stupid. That's really what, you know, if I can just put it down on the bottom shelf where everybody can get a hold of it, that's really what we're trying to do. Because here's what I know. While Jesus may have saved us from our sins, he does not necessarily save us from our stupidity. And most of the tragedy and pain and hardship in our life is really, a lot of times, it's not because of our sin. A lot of times the pain and tragedy and heartache in our life comes from our stupidity. We would make the world such a better place if we could just stop being stupid sometimes. Yeah. One of the questions I get asked as a pastor often, I think this is a question that pastors get in various forms, it gets asked, usually camouflaged in something, but the, the question is this. Pastor, is this a sin? Does everything have to be a sin? I mean, can't some things just be stupid and we not do them because they're stupid, not because they're n not a sin, right? I mean, because it's not a sin, that just gives you permission to just go ahead and do it. I mean, that's not good for you. Can't you hear your mom and dad right now? Well, if your friends were all chewing glass and swallowing it, would you do it? See, what if it's not a sin? What if it's just stupid? Are you still going to do it? Some people say, well, yeah, as long as God's okay with it. I want you to know this morning, God's not okay with us being stupid. There's a quest that we are supposed to be on where we move from being a fool to being a sage. Where we move from a life of foolishness to a life of wisdom. Last week we finished up the quest for nobility. We stopped with this man named Zacchaeus. And I told you last week, and you probably already know this from the little song that we sang growing up in church, that Zacchaeus was a small guy. He knew Jesus was getting ready to pass by. He couldn't see very well, so he crawls up into a tree. He's trying to see Jesus. Jesus passes by, looks up, sees him in the tree, and says, hey, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus was thrilled by this, and what we learned was that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Um, that's another way to say that the people despised him. He was pretty much a malevolent, he was greedy, and he was corrupt. Zacchaeus was not somebody you would want to hang out with today, certainly not somebody you would want to take home for your Sunday dinner. And so when Jesus said he intended to go to Zacchaeus' house, the people were upset because Jesus was about to associate with somebody that they didn't think he should associate with. There's a biggie for you. Jesus was doing something people didn't think he should be doing. And when he went to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus had an eruption of generosity. There was a life change that was expressed in a very tangible way in Zacchaeus' life. Without being prodded, without being asked, without being condemned, Zacchaeus said, if there's anything wrong I've done, I want to make it right, and those people that I have stolen from, I'm going to repay that fourfold. And you see Zacchaeus go through this incredible transformation from being greedy to being generous. And the people, people around him were not happy that, they, that such a malevolent human being could change so quickly. They wanted some kind of retribution. They wanted some kind of punishment for him. Jesus, 
Jesus was just happy to see a transformed life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll, we'll put this on the wall for you if you're new to us. We, we try to put almost all the scripture on the wall so you can follow along. We, we typically will read out of the Bible a, a, a fairly great deal. And um, I like for you to bring your Bible and follow along with me. And if you, if you have a pen and you underline things, that really makes me feel good. But if you're new to us, we'll put it on the wall for you. Luke 19, verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he's telling this story about this guy that's going to go off to another land. He's going to have, him, have himself appointed king. I, did you know you could do that? Just go have yourself appointed king. I think all of our kids have done that, haven't they? He goes off to have himself appointed king, and then he's going to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work until I come back. This was about three months' wages. But his subjects hated him. This is an interesting little sidebar. His subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Verse 15 has some really bad news for those guys because it says he was made king, however, and returned home. Kind of really bad news if you were one of the delegation that went to try to fight against this guy becoming king. Not good for you. Probably not a good idea to go back home. He sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, Take charge of five cities. I want to stop right here and just, because I'm not going to get to this later, just want to point out to you something here. They were faithful with things. And the king then gave them responsibility over people. So not only did their, you know, did their responsibility increase, their status increased, everything increased. It was, the responsibility was greater. I mean, things is one thing, people is another. When God gives you a responsibility for people, it's a big deal. And that's what happens with these guys. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Did you put, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know, I've read this story a lot, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I always end up thinking the same thing. No, Jesus. Don't take it away from him and give it to the guy that's got 10 because if you do that, then he's going to have 11 and the other guy's going to have 5. That's not fair. 
take it from him and give it to the guy that's got five, then he'll have six, the other guy will have ten, they'll be closer together, it'll be fair, right? Because isn't that what we care about in life? Everything has to be fair. And then you see it, somebody in the crowd is in my head because he says, sir, he already has ten. This guy's thinking like me. Verse 26, he replied, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. This is one of those harsh and difficult parables. It's a parable that lets us know how God relates to us in our human experience. In this parable, the king who goes away is Jesus, and he entrusts his servants with his wealth and his resources, and they're all wondering, how does the kingdom of God work? And so they thought the way the kingdom would work is that the king would be here and he would be doing everything. And it was confusing to them that the king would leave and leave us to do everything. And so when he returns, he measures and evaluates what every person did with what was entrusted to them. You've probably already connected the dots that Jesus is the king and you and me, we are the servants. And God has entrusted us with gifts, talents, intelligence, passions, ability, wealth, occupations, opportunities. I mean, I could just keep going down the list of things. And all those things that God has entrusted to you, he will hold you responsible with what you do with it. Here's what I love about this parable. He does not compare us against the other. He does not compare us one against the other. The one who was given 10, that person was called a good and faithful servant. The one who maximized his 10 and got five out of it, he was called a good and faithful servant. I love the fact that we will never be compared against each other. We will only be compared against ourselves, our potential, our abilities, our talents, our lives. That's really helpful. Now, have you ever noticed (laughs) there are people more talented than you? There are people more talented than you. Have you ever noticed that there are people that are more intelligent than you? Have you ever noticed that there are people that are better looking than you? And somebody right now sitting out there going, no, none of those yet, keep going. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that there are people taller than you? Or maybe you've spent your whole life noticing that there are people around you that are dumber than you. People around you that are less attractive, less intelligent. And that's been your entire basis for your self-worth. You say, look at them, I'm glad I'm not like them. Or I'm glad they're not like me. I've always just accepted that there were a lot of people that were way more talented than me, way better looking than me. I I accept that. Here's the good news. God will never judge you against another. He'll never look at you and say, why why were you not more like them? Why why didn't you live a life that's better than them? Why why weren't you more extraordinary than them? He's not going to do that. He's not going to say, why didn't you have their gifts and their talents? He's not going to say that. God will only measure your life by what he has entrusted to you but he will measure your life. 
It's interesting that everyone was a good and faithful servant except for the one who projected onto the king. This guy that that kind of projected onto the king. We knew that you were a wicked man. We knew that you took things that didn't belong to you. So he lived in fear, never really taking responsibility for what had been entrusted to him. And, And you can live your entire life blaming God and blaming other people that, that things don't go your way. You can, you can live your whole life blaming other people for why you're not living the life that you feel like God called you to live. And you can live your whole life and never really take responsibility for the steps that you must take to become the person that God calls you to be. This word faithfulness it's just it's really just not that compelling of a word is it you, I mean, we don't wake up in the morning thinking lord help me be more faithful no i mean i i wake up in the morning thinking i want to be more wise i want to be more courageous i'd like to be more generous i generally don't wake up in the morning thinking man faithful that's what i want to be but there's a word inside faithful faithfulness that's really a good word This word right here, faith. That word's got some oomph. In fact, some people would tell you that it's all about faith. Some people would tell you that that faith has so much power that there's so much there because the moment you have faith in God, the world changes forever. You know, when you you come to faith, you begin a life of faith, everything kind of does change in your life. Some people, it's all about faith, and they will pray and pray and pray, and if something doesn't happen, they'll pray some more. And they'll pray for people to be healed, and they'll pray for lives to be changed. They'll pray for snow. They'll pray for rain, healing, jobs. They they pray for everything. And sometimes people can be so mesmerized by faith because sometimes God chooses to answer those prayers in a positive way, and we see once in a while, you'll see some miraculous thing and you'll go like, wow, look what prayer does. It's the people of faith that we admire, right? It's the people of faith we want to be like. It's the people that have this big faith and they're willing to pray and when I pray, things happen. And We look at that and we go, man, I want to be like that guy. See, faithfulness is for all the people who do not have big faith. We kind of look at it as that thing that, you know, faithfulness is the default mode for all the people who do not have awesome gifts. So if you're here and you don't have any talent, you might say, well, I'm not that smart, I'm not that talented, I'm not that good looking, I'm not that, I don't, you know, I don't seem to have any unique gifts. Oh, well, you get faithfulness. That's what the rest of us get. Faith is awesome. And then there's this other word that's inside of this word faithfulness that it's it's kind of a cool word too. It's this word here. It's fullness. That's a good word. Faith's a big word. Fullness is a big word. We want fullness. We want to become everything that God intended for us to become. We want to see all of our gifts and all of our talents optimized. We want to become whole emotionally, relationally, spiritually. We want that. Isn't it amazing how two words like faith and fullness, powerful words, when they come together, give us a dud word like faithfulness? Like, oh, 
Okay. I like them better apart. See, while faith is really big and obvious, and being relevant and cool with Jesus is really pretty awesome, faithfulness is less obvious, but that is what will save you at the end of the day. Because you see, a life without faith will limit you, but a life without faithfulness will destroy you. Faith is how you meet God in the present. If you want to meet God, you need to step into this moment with faith. You need to step into that moment where you trust God completely with yourself. Faith is how you meet God in the present, but faithfulness is how you meet God in the future. See, faith is what you need here and now to make this moment count the most, but faithfulness is what you need to create the future that God knows you were born to live out. This has other applications as well. Just just humor me for a minute. If we got any... Let's say you're 21 years old, and I'm sure we probably do have somebody in here that's 21. It's second service. I know you slept in, so you're probably coming to the second service. But I've got some calculations for you this morning. If you're 21 years old, and you were going to work until you were 71, but you were going to live until you were 91, but beyond 71, you're not really going to be able to earn any income. So... If you were able to live on about forty grand a year, if we could get you a job that paid you right around $44,000, $45,000 a year, if you were to take $284 every month and put it away in the bank and get a little interest with that, annually you would be putting in the bank $3,418. By the time you were 71, with interest working in your favor, you would have basically built that little nest egg into over a million dollar little nest egg that you would have when you were 71 and you could live out the rest of your days off that million dollars. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, sign me up for that. That's what would happen if you would just take a little bit and put it away. But see, what's really difficult is when you want a cappuccino every day or you want that pair of shoes or that jacket is really sweet and I need to have that jacket and we say I I would rather have the jacket I need the jacket more than I need the future stuff okay it's more important to me to have the jacket I gotta look cool now this is not a sermon on investing and saving okay it's not the point here is faithfulness It's so difficult, isn't it, to make a decision today that actually creates your future. And that's just when it comes to your retirement. Now imagine how it's affecting you when it comes to the future that God is trying to create in you. But what we're so good at is sacrificing the future for the present. I I have defined for you before, probably really many times, this word discipline I define discipline like this. Discipline is postponing the immediate to guarantee the ultimate. That's discipline. Postponing the immediate to guarantee the ultimate. And we don't understand that while we need faith to live our spiritual journey, we need faithfulness to finish it. You are created for more than just existing. He did not create us to be average, but he created us to be unique. Being human was not intended to be a curse, it was intended to be a gift. 
Every one of us has God-given talent. Beyond this, God is constantly pouring gifts into us. This, this gives us great potential, potential to become that thing that God is calling us and crafted us to become. You are not supposed to die with your potential. A life well-lived maximizes potential and does something with it. When we harness our potential, we become potent. And when we become potent, we produce results. Here's the question. I'm going to wrap up pretty early this morning. What has God given you? What has God given you? It may not look like much. You may be sitting there and thinking to yourself, man, that doesn't look like a whole lot to me. You, You tell the little kid that's getting an allowance, if you put a quarter of that away every week, after a while you're going to have enough money to go buy that model airplane you're wanting to get. The quarter doesn't look like much. Start stacking those quarters up and things start, suddenly start to change. Or maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're looking at some big stuff and you're saying, man, I, I got some responsibility here. I, what am I going to do with that? Either way, your faithfulness with it and your desire to maximize your potential will press you on to become the person God intended you to become, it will open you up then to perseverance, which we'll talk about next week, which will eventually lead us to the place of wisdom, and that is the quest for enlightenment. Now that's really the end of my my message, but here's how I want to wrap up this morning. Tracy brought Jeremiah out on stage. That is the coolest little kid, isn't he? I never see that kid, and I mean, I don't ever look at him that I don't have this thought. When I see Jeremiah, I see me. Here's what I mean. Jeremiah was born on a continent, in a country, where things are not quite as bright and not quite as hopeful as it might be for someone born in this country. You know, I heard Tracy talking about how they were in this room, there were two caregivers, like 15 babies, and he said they didn't really get the love that they needed even under those circumstances. Can you imagine as that child grows up how much harder life gets and what his life, what kind of life awaits him as he grows up in an environment where he is not necessarily really wanted and there's not really a whole lot of people who either have the means or the willingness to take care of him. halfway around the world in the United States a family is praying and being led to step into what God has called them to which was probably scary I'm sure it wasn't a decision that was come to lightly I know Tracy and Julie prayed over it and it was a big deal but the decision was made we're going to adopt a baby we're going to seek to adopt a baby in a third world country and Every time I see Jeremiah, I just look at that little kid and think to myself, do you have any idea how lucky you are? And then I think about me. I've been adopted. My future was bleak. Things did not look good for me. And Jesus came along. And God said, I want to adopt you. And your future may not have been all that great ahead of time, but I'm here now 
and I'm willing to adopt you. Here's where this is, I'm going with this. Some of you are in the room, you've never given your life to Christ. And I'm, this isn't some preacher ninja thing. I'm just trying to give you a different way to look at it, okay? Here's what it's like. It's like you being little Jeremiah, only you're of an age where you can say yes or no. And someone comes from another country willing to give you all the resources that they have, willing to open up the store for you. I tell people all the time, grace, the acrostic for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And he comes along and he says, I want to adopt you. And for you to say no to that is, is kind of like you being Jeremiah with no better options and your future not really being that great and it's pretty bleak, but you saying, no, I'm good. Don't need it. I'm all right. Why would you do that? So if I could just plant a seed in your brain to, to take home with you today, and I'm not even asking you to do anything about it today, but would you just at least consider having a conversation with me or whoever brought you or one of our elders or one of the staff, somebody that goes to church here could help you come to an understanding of what this is about and what it's not about. And I have a feeling that if you would just let somebody explain it to you, it's probably not about what you think it is. But you need Jesus. And he's gone to great, great lengths to buy you back out of slavery, out of sin, out of bondage, to give you a life that you could never have imagined otherwise. So I just want you to think about it as we sing this morning. And if at any point in the future you wanted to talk about that, I would love to talk to you about that. Let's pray together. Father, I give you thanks. I give you thanks for adopting us. I give you thanks for loving us when we were and still are not very lovable. And Lord, there's not a one of us in here that really deserves what you've done for us. There's not a one of us in here that... that is probably really all that attractive to you. And in these moments, and collectively together, we've come to just kind of love each other and lift you up and love you. We just, we tell you how thankful we are. Because without you, we're lost. It's over. No hope. But with you, God's riches at Christ's expense. So, Father, there's a lot of us in the room. We, we, all of us have gifts. You've, give, you've given all of us gifts. The, the question is, will we maximize them? Will we put them to use? Will we be faithful with them? Will we, will we do with them what you want us to do? And, Lord, it just strikes me that even if we're going to do that, we need your help. Finally, Lord, for the one or several who are in the room who have never made a decision to be a follower of Jesus, I pray that you'd help them to see past the stigmatisms of it, the, 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 the falsities that the world says it's about. I pray that you would help them to see that it's really just about trying to get as close to you as possible to learn how to navigate life in a way that is God-honoring. So, Father, in these moments, we just tell you that we love you. We're so dependent on your love and grace for us. It's what gets us through. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.